0: Hey, Bob Squad, Mark here with the announcement you've been waiting for. Today is the day. We will be announcing the winner of our first ever Bob Stakes giveaway. And the winner of Herman Bobbing's The Sacrifice of Praise is... Luke from Elgin, Illinois. Thank you so much for the five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and for following us on social media, Luke. We hope that you enjoy this copy of Herman Bobbing's The Sacrifice of Praise as much as we have. To all of those who have entered, we thank you also from the bottom of our heart. The five star ratings on Apple Podcasts and your love on social media, it all goes a long way as we look to provide you guys with great content discussing the works of Herman Bovin. Stay tuned for future Bob Steaks giveaways as we don't plan on stopping anytime soon. So without any further ado, here's episode 13 of the Bobcast. Don Yvell, and on with the show.
1: This is the Bobcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bovink.
2: Hey there, everyone. Thanks for listening in to Bobcast. I'm Caleb Castro. I'm Mark Scaturro.
1: I'm Andrew Smith.
2: You're listening to episode 13, where we're continuing our discussion on general revelation on uh, page 21 of the wonderful works of God. So where we've been talking about uh, in the previous section on uh, chapter two on the knowledge of God, and now we're getting a little bit more on how it is that, um, that humanity comes to really know God uh, through means of revelation, um, particularly here in general revelation. The highest point of all revelation, though, is Christ himself. Now, Bobbing starts off here on 21, uh, that first paragraph after this break here, after those three asterisks, to talk about how it's Jesus Christ that ultimately illuminates history. The Christian has a, a vantage points in which he interprets things from the past, uh, the present and future uh, with the discernment of how things are affected by Christ, um how things are understood in light of Christ's coming and his work on earth and the Father in whom uh, in whom he reveals. So all matters of life um have to be understood in the way in which they uh they relate to God, especially Christ. And so Bobby asks a, asks a question here um and I'll paraphrase. For a Christian to be interpreting all of life in history, uh, does this mean that a Christian's understanding of life is narrow and biased? Like, you know, do, do Christians tend to give an unfair interpretation of things like science and history, politics, even personal relationships? Is our view skewed and disadvantaged uh, compared to, say, uh, everyone else that suspends judgment of faith I
1: guess I would say the question that we have to ask, though, before we ask that question is, is it true? Because if it's true, if this is the way the world is made and the way the world is supposed to be understood, then the second question becomes moot. If God created the world, if God governs the world, if God has revealed himself through general and special revelation, the highest point of the revelation of him being in Christ, then it's really not a question then of being fair or being biased, but... A question of what is true and a question of what is correct and what is what is real about the world
0: right and i hear what you're saying there but really i mean to christians today this is the message that the rest of the world is telling us right um mm-hmm. you know they they just assume that it's false and they move on to this so so how many times have we heard oh you're just a closed-minded christian sure uh but but really i mean what what Bobik is getting at here is like through Christ we get to to look back through everything and see its purpose we get to know about how it really is we get to know the the good the true and the beautiful as he talks about um just in that paragraph before uh that that last sentence or the last couple of sentences, by its light, he sees backwards into the night of past times and by it, he penetrates through to the future of all things. This is talking about Christ ahead of him and behind the horizon is clear, even though the sky is often obscured by clouds. So so it is through Christ that the Christian actually gets to know the world around him. And it's actually a very open-minded thing it touches everything it touches science it touches philosophy it touches art it touches politics it touches history it's kind of the all-encompassing thing that that makes everything accessible to the christian because as we read in Acts 17 that everything that lives and moves and has its being is in god which is actually a quote from a pagan philosopher
1: the interesting thing about that is Building on the foundation that Bob Inc has been building in these first few chapters, it's really only through the Christian worldview that we can understand the world rightly. I mean, everybody else will try to claim that they can understand the world rightly, but that knowledge is suppressed. That knowledge is corrupted because it doesn't have God at the center of it. It's not under God's authority.
0: Right, and just continuing where we're going with this, uh, the bottom of that first paragraph here, talking about the Christian. This belief does not exclude him from the world, but rather puts him in position to trace out the revelation of God in nature and history and puts the means at the at his disposal by which he can recognize the true and the good and the beautiful and separate them from the false and sinful alloys of men. That's money. That's just amazing. Like, like it's it's because of Christ that we can you know, have science. It's because of Christ that we can have philosophy. It's because of Christ that that we can have all these things because God has revealed himself to us, which brings us back to Andrew's question is it, 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 that's the way to look at things because this is truth. But
1: also, too, I think it's really important what he says at the end of this paragraph to separate them from the false and sinful alloys of men, because there's a lot of things that the world tries to pass off as good. They can come up with their own reasons for it being good. You know, examples like, for instance, the, the, the moral and sexual revolution we're undergoing. The world will try to sell that as good. The world will try to sell that as progress. The world will try to sell that as where we need to go. But if we're looking at things through a Christian and biblical worldview, we realize these things are destructive. These things are folly. Their end is death.
0: Mm-hmm
2: right yeah our judgment as a whole is uh, is skewed um i had in mind here uh, john 7 24 where jesus says uh you know, do not judge by appearances, but judge uh, with right judgment. And so, we have to determine if, in the midst of progress and revolution and so on, and so forth, just because it's progress or there's a a large amount of people in culture, a group in 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 society that's advocating for something, does it actually make it right judgment? Yeah. And so, there's there's the distinction between things that are that are you know true, good, beautiful, uh, and, and in contrast with that, which is false and sinful. To kind of just bring one more broad example up, this section made me think of. Uh, the separation of church and state. like this that that's a good thing, right? Uh, a separation of church and state is is a good thing, but those who uh, oftentimes with unbelievers, um, and maybe even some church groups, some church denominations, they understand this as meaning that it is a total separation between civil life and Christianity, a civil life and and a Christian worldview. Uh, and so they're, they're looking at it as, uh, as, as completely opposed things that have to be in their exclusive categories. So I think that that's a, a pretty skewed way to view it. Uh, we agree with separation in church and state, but as I believe Abraham Kuyper, uh, another uh, Dutch theologian around the time of Bovink, pointed out, we could separate the church and state, but we can't separate the Christian and faith. Um, that, that has to be brought into every single area of our existence. We, we live in faith as it is
1: on that question of do we believe in separation of church and state to borrow the Turretinism we distinguish because there is a separation of church and state we won't, we approve of for instance we don't want the government exercising undue authority or power over the church but at the same time i think your point with Kuiper is well made in that the the people in government because the government is made up of people all the unbelievers in government they're not approaching the matter from a, a neutral position they're bringing their whatever they believe to the table so why is it that christians want to or feel that they should check their faith at the door when engaging in the civil sphere.
2: We're seeing uh, here in the next section of Bob Inc. that uh, there's a distinction between general and special revelation, uh, different ways in which we operate in the light of the knowledge of God. And one is uh, a suppressed knowledge of God, as we've spoken of in previous episodes. But a knowledge of God nonetheless, uh, that informs how we understand the world. You know, it's really
0: important here. I think it's really helpful to include his definitions yes. just for the sake of the discussion. Right there at the top of the third paragraph there, he talks, In the general revelation, God makes use of the usual run of phenomena, and the usual course of events in the special revelation he often employs unusual means appearances prophecy and miracle to make himself known to man so we see kind of everything that happens in the natural world around us you know we've brought up Romans one time and time again on this podcast so far that's what he's talking about there and then special revelation is where God actually condescends and speaks to his people, you know, ultimately in the person and work of Jesus Christ.
2: So, what is it that uh, uh, Bob Inc particularly points out then for, for this general revelation? What, is, what are these usual phenomena? What's he making shown?
0: Further down in that, in that passage, there, he talks about the contents of this. He says the contents of the first kind are especially the attributes of power and wisdom and goodness. So, those mm-hmm. are the things that everybody can see. Like, you can look outside and see that God is powerful in the sense that. All this had to come from someplace, right? Somebody yeah. had to make this. You know, stuff just doesn't happen by chance this way. So, so you know, it's kind of this implied, you know, there's creation, which implies a creator kind of deal. And then he goes on. He's, he says, those of the second kind are especially God's holiness and righteousness, compassion and grace. What Bavink says the second kind of revelation handles is is it tells us who God is. It it, it shares his character. It shows um his love, it shows uh, His holiness, it shows His mercy. Um, all these various things that we are allowed to have, um, any kind of relationship with God around, uh, it, it comes by that special revelation.
1: And yet when we move on into the next paragraph, we have to realize that the two are bound closely together, as Boving says here. they're intimately connected with each other. Both have their origin in God and his sovereign goodness and favor. And he goes on to elaborate on that point. These two don't exist in a vacuum in isolation from each other. They are inseparably related and connected.
2: And what is it that connects them? Well, it's God. God being the content of both.
1: God the giver and the content.
2: And particularly expressed in uh, the word. Both are expressed in the word, uh, through the word, but um, in different ways. As we look at these kinds of revelation that, that we see, this this
0: general and this special revelation, it kind of begs the question, like, who is this for? Like, who, who is the recipient of this revelation? And, and at the bottom of that third paragraph, he gets in there, and he, and he talks about there being common grace, the way that God reveals himself to all men. You know, again, we can look to nature, you know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, you know, everybody benefits from the rain of the crops or, or they die by, you know, drought. Um, the unbeliever is, is the beneficiary of that rain and that that uh, benevolence, that that providence. But but at the same time, you know, for the believer, uh, they know who God is. They know the person with whom they're having a relationship. They know who they're praying to. They know that God is giving these things uh, as a gift that they, through this revelation, are able to have relationship with with him so so there's this common common grace distinction, uh, and then there's there's the knowledge the the revelation that the believer has,
1: but I think it's also there's there is something additional he says about common grace though that's really important, where he says serves to restrain the eruption of sin, so it's not just that common right. grace is the benefits that believer and unbeliever alike get from living in this world, you know rain food, etc. There is also a moral and ethical aspect to it. I mean, we've already talked about Romans 1, but we can also get into Romans 2 and the law written on the hearts of every man. Whether people want to admit it or not, we all as human beings have a common sense of morality. We all, for instance, would think that it's wrong to kill or to steal or to commit adultery. Uh, For the most part, I realize some... Even suppress that truth, but gen- there are general principles of morality that are universally applicable across the board, and that is the law of God written on our hearts. That's part of this common grace.
2: Um, I was saying it, it's it's a part of yeah of of creation. It's part of um, the image of God in us as it is. And uh, I, I recall from uh, uh, if I remember right from uh, Jonathan Edwards you know, that famous sermon, uh, "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." I believe he makes uh, an illustration of talking about sin as an enormous ocean uh, that threatens to destroy uh, the city on the shores. Um, but as the waves go crashing towards towards that civilization, uh, the hand of God restrains that monstrous wave. And much in the way, sin, uh, the sins of man, they're wicked, they're awful, but the Lord does use them to his purposes, uses them for good. And in some ways, uh, in some ways, man may not always act in the most sinful that he could be. And in Calvinist circles, like this is what we get when somebody's talking about the
0: second use of the law.
1: But also to your point regarding we're not as sinful as we could be. This is where um, I've heard a helpful distinction made before. I think R.C. Sproul and others have employed it. The difference between total depravity and utter depravity. Right. Total, de- right. total depravity is... That we are all sinful. We all are depraved in our fallen state. But utter depravity would be we're all sin all the time. We're as sinful as we possibly could be. We're not there. As a function of this common grace, even on the unbeliever, there is a restraint of the extent of their sin. Right.
0: And yes. we all benefit from that. Society yes. as a whole benefits from that.
1: Because, the wor- I mean, if we didn't have that, the world would just descend into utter chaos. Like there wouldn't even be it's part of even the providence that allows that allowed God to carry out his redemptive plans in history, because if all people were just left to their sin, they would pretty much destroy the world. So that common grace is part of redemptive history in the sense that it basically allows the world to continue for the plan of redemption to be carried out and for Christ to become incarnate and to redeem his people.
0: I, th- I think we'd miss something if we if we didn't mention that not all of Christendom believes in this kind of common grace. You know, yes, this is right. something that not all parties adhere to. In my opinion, I, I think that they're wrong uh, because of all the things that we were just talking about. But a lot of people, even in reform circles, uh, you can get into various camps where they will say, ultimately, you know, that rain that falls on the just and the unjust alike, the rain that falls on the unjust is actually damning the unjust because it's like you had all those gifts, yet you did not come to a, a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So, so it's not always looked upon favorably, uh, but I just think Bavink here lays it out in such a way that I'm convinced that that common grace is, is a real thing.
2: There's a a denial of that common grace, but Bovink's point that you're picking up here, that last sentence on page 21 going on to the next page, uh, as we mentioned earlier, he ties together the relationship of general revelation and special revelation to the word. So that last sentence, general revelation is owing to the word, which was with God in the beginning, which made all things, which shone as a light in the darkness and lights every man that comes into the world, quoting John 1, 1 to 9. He continues that the special revelation is owing to that same word as it was made flesh in Christ and is now full of grace and truth. Grace, therefore, is the content of both revelations. In the first, it's common. In the second, it's special, but in such a way that the one is indispensable for the other. And so we're saying that whereas uh, there is a, a, a general light, a, a light of uh, of. Uh, creation, uh, being, being a creature made in the image of God, and the distinction between light and darkness as a whole in the beginning, but is made full with Jesus Christ, the Word in the flesh. Uh, and in that second paragraph there on page 22, the common grace prepares the way for the special grace, it supports it, so it leads to it.
0: The exclamation point on this whole thing is both in this way serve the end of glorifying all of God's excellencies. So they're all working to the same end. It's just that this common grace, though, isn't saving grace, Mm -hmm. even
2: though it works to that end. Well, I think he gets into that in that next uh, paragraph there, um, where he makes a distinction of the content is contained in Scripture, ultimately, in general, Revelation can't get us to a full lightness, a perfect uh, lightness and renewal of understanding. This would also be uh, Ephesians one four, wouldn't it? The Father, uh, God and Father of uh, Jesus Christ, says, "Bless us with spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according to uh, the, his, his choosing us before the foundation of the world." This is the adoption of children itself, so that from the general revelation, whereas there is a more common benefit through the operations, or through, through the Lord, or through God's relationship with His creation, His being completely involved in it and never apart from it, to leading some whom He's chosen before the foundation of the world into a full understanding in Christ. And that's all the time that we have for today. We hope that you found the discussion
0: edifying. We hope you learned a little something along the way. And we hope you'll join us next time for Bobcast. This is us signing off, reminding you to 8 Smoklik and Toad Zines.
1: Toad Toad Zines. Tot zines. Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bobcast. And email questions or comments to Bobcast at gmail.com. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed to get more great theological content. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time.